You're listening to the Deal Closers podcast brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com, a show about how to build your e-commerce business to be profitable, scalable, and one day even sellable. I'm Isaac Porter, and on the show today, we're joined by Christian Rivera, founder of e-commerce accountants, to talk about how to get your financials in order to help you exit. So I want you to think about your business. Let's say you're doing pretty well, you're growing, and you're and a company notices what's going on and they start asking questions about buying your business. This sounds fun, but are you even ready for this conversation? And more importantly, are you ready for the due diligence process where the buying company will poke and prod all of your financials? If you're like many of our clients when we start working with them, those financial statements may be kind of a mess. And that acquisition conversation needs to be postponed a bit until we can help you get your financials to look as attractive as your business itself actually is. So let's talk about what we need to do to make that happen. Let's welcome Chris Rivera to the conversation. Chris, how's it going today, man? Doing well. Uh, It's a crazy time in the year. So it's the beginning of tax season. So we're a bit underwater, but anything for you, Isaac, done a lot of work together. Yeah, uh, yeah. Appreciate it. Had to support you here. Yeah, love. Appreciate you being on. I know it's busy time and um, we've got a lot of uh, mutual clients that we have worked with and are working with and, you know, everyone just raves about your firm. So I really thought you've got some great advice on how to prepare financial statements to get ready for an exit. So let's start off on the buyer side. What financial statements are potential buyers looking for when they're looking to buy an e-commerce or a tech company? Yeah. So one of the biggest things we tell clients is, you know, as an established business owner, you have to make sure that your financials are in order because, you know, selling your business is just one of the very many reasons why you need clean, accurate, ready to go financials. You know, if you want to borrow money to buy a house, you want to borrow money for the business, you want to sell your business, you want to do your taxes, everything. Absolutely. There's a lot of reasons for why you need to be neat and organized and ready to go. If you have someone who's interested in buying your business, right, if they ask you for financial statements, And you're like, yeah, sure. Let me just give me three to four weeks to clean up my financials and then I'll get back to you. They're gone. You know, they're going to lose interest. You want to be ready to rock immediately. So in terms of what potential buyers look for, they want clean, accurate financial statements as soon as possible because people's interest levels change all the time. So usually what I see in terms of accounting statements are income statement and balance sheet both of which are reconciled to, you know, bank accounts, credit cards, payment processors, et cetera. So clean, accurate financial statements reconciled to very reliable primary sources like bank accounts, credit cards. Okay. So let me, let's dig into that a little more. The reconciled piece, this is a key differentiator. And I think what you do with your clients. So the situation comes up for us quite a bit where, you know, a lot of our clients are using QuickBooks, which we love or other accounting software. And that software will output an Excel spreadsheet with the PL. And so as we're getting ready to prepare the financial statements in the event that there are personal expenses on the PL or other non-recurring expenses, you know, what a lot of clients will suggest is, hey, let's either just delete those off the PL or move them to another section of the PL, right? And so what what's the challenge with just modifying your PL if you're not reconciling? What does reconciling mean? Right. So here's the situation. You're kind of dealing with two different areas here. When it comes to selling your business, right? 
you're selling your business for usually for a multiple of yes. what you know your profits are or your Correct. EBITDA or whatever, right? Yep, exactly. So you want that profit or EBITDA number to be high because if you add a multiplier to that number, you know you want it to be high. Now it's an inverse relationship with taxes. If you show if you show high income for taxes, you're going to pay a lot of money in taxes, right? Exactly. So it's kind of like an inverse relationship. So realistically, here's the situation. When we work with clients for tax planning or doing accounting for taxes or doing tax returns, et cetera, we're deducting a lot of things that are more personal in nature. You know, the business car you have, some of your travel expenses, meals, you know, those are things that we're very likely deducting to get to your taxable income or your profit number to tax, right? Yeah. And that's completely, that's completely reasonable. It's totally legal. And it's really, it's actually just good tax planning to take advantage of the tax code that, that, that we've got. Absolutely. Right now here, here's the other side to it. If someone's coming in to acquire your business, they're not acquiring the business that included your meal with the business partner that you deducted for tax purposes. Right. So we view that as more personal in nature. So what we typically do with clients that you know we work together on is we take your PL that we use for taxes, et cetera, and that is anchored into a tax return. So if a prospective buyer comes in and they want to rely on the numbers, they can take a look at the QuickBooks account, they can take a look at the tax return account and understand or the tax return itself and understand whether or not those numbers are reliable. Now also, what's important is we need them to understand that that's not the business that they're buying. The, the business that's presented on the tax return is presented strategically on the tax return for that for specific purposes, usually, you know, tax planning, et cetera. The yep. business they're actually buying, you know, it, we view it as if the way that we view the business that they're selling is they need to strip out certain things that aren't really applicable to the business, like meals. You know, you're not buying a business that has X amount of meals. Maybe the new owner is going to come in and spend less on meals or travel or other expenses that are more personal in nature. So what we typically do is our starting point is financials that anchor into a tax return in QuickBooks, and we make adjustments to remove those personal items out. Yep. And then are you making sure that those adjustments that are made on the PL reconcile back to QuickBooks or so that when we go through, you know, because the I think the, the question is when we go through due diligence, how does a buyer get comfortable with those that those expenses that we've either removed or or segregated are personal expenses and how do they how do they actually see that paper trail? Right. And and you hit it right on the head. That's why we show two different versions. We show one version that says, hey, listen, if you want to see our numbers presented on a tax return, you want to see our numbers on QuickBooks, you know, that those are our tax planning numbers. Yep. So we present that one way and you can very easily reconcile it to bank accounts, credit cards, tax returns, et cetera. But we present separately on the financials, your real personal expenses, things like we're talking about the car, the meals, the travel, that kind of stuff. Yep. We break it out separately so that if the prospective buyer wants to dig in, and make sure that the numbers in your listed PL reconcile to your tax return QuickBooks. They can easily work their way back into understanding where the numbers came from. Yeah, that's so, so key. Bridging it is so important. Yeah, it's so key. And, and what I explain to, to both buyers and sellers is 
the cash flow that we're representing in our marketing materials is the cash flow that's going to be available to the buyer. And that doesn't include these personal or discretionary expenses of the owner. And that's why we're breaking them out, you know, removing them or, or putting them below, in some cases, below operating income. So I think, you know, what, what you're able to do in reconciling that back to the, to the original accounts and then showing kind of how to get from tax return to the P&L as it's presented with a orderly methodology is, is really key. So a couple more questions that came to mind. We, we see a lot of financial statements that are presented on a cash basis, and we often will convert to accrual. So from your perspective as a, as a CPA, can you just explain the difference between cash and accrual and why that could be important in a, uh, in a sale process of a business? Absolutely. So cash basis accounting is very common for small businesses. And the whole idea is expenses are, items or expense are recognized in income as they actually affect your bank account or credit card, et cetera, right? Right. So an example is when you swipe that credit card for Facebook ad spend, that's when it would be counted as a deductible expense. Whereas accrual basis is really as you accrue, which basically means when you owe the money. So same example, if you run up $500 in Facebook ad spend and they didn't charge your credit card yet, in theory, on accrual basis accounting, you're technically supposed to consider $500 as, as expense, right? Same thing works on the revenue side, right? So it's a little bit more uncommon with e-commerce, but let's say you you have an invoice-based business where you send an invoice to a customer and you have to wait for them to pay it, right? In theory, on a cash basis accounting methodology, you recognize income when that customer actually pays you. Whereas in accrual basis accounting, as soon as you send that invoice and you're waiting for them to pay, you have to recognize it as income, right? right. Whether they pay or don't. So the way that we like to structure e-commerce businesses accounting wise for when they list is what I like to call modify accrual basis accounting. So we avoid doing hardcore, hardcore accrual basis accounting for things like ad spend, for things like payroll, for things that things that don't really move the needle that much and focus more on presenting the financials in a modified accrual basis, for things like inventory and sales. Inventory is the big one, right? Inventory and revenue because the exactly on a cash basis, the owner of the business is going to recognize their inventory purchase in these big lumps. They put in a $100,000 order, it gets shipped from China, right? And so when they, when they pay for that on a cash basis, that entire cost of the inventory shows up in one month. It creates a lot of volatility. So, so just you, you just let's talk about. I think this this modified accrual concept is interesting. So let's just say, just keeping it specific to inventory, you know, this the scenario I described where all the inventory is expensed in one month. How would that change on accrual? Yeah. So I, I just want to take a step back from that for a second. It's a common misconception in this space that inventory is fully deductible on a cash basis. Per the IRS rules, you're technically required to do, even if you're a cash basis taxpayer, you're technically required to do inventory accounting on an accrual basis, hmm. right? So the whole idea is if you're a drop shipper, right, then it's very, very easy to deduct, you know, your cost of goods as you actually pay it. But if you are in the business of actually keeping an inventory in the U.S. or in China or wherever, and you actually buy in bulk units that are sitting somewhere and you're selling them, 
you are technically required to do inventory accounting on an accrual basis. And it's extremely important. A lot of online entrepreneurs, they think, oh, well, you know, it's December 15th. Let me just buy up a bunch of inventory and I can deduct in my taxes and show zero profits and not yeah. pay any income taxes. It actually is not supposed to work that way. And it's a high risk area under audit. You know, if you're an online seller and you're under audit, that's one of the first things that the IRS is going to look for. They're going to say, you're an e-commerce seller. Great. If you have inventory, why are you deducting it? You can't deduct inventory until you sell it. That's the whole idea behind accrual basis accounting. So when you buy inventory, what you're technically supposed to do is you capitalize it on your balance sheet. So for example, if I buy $75,000 worth of inventory, technically none of that's deductible. It's supposed to sit on your balance sheet and you deduct it as you actually sell the units. And the intent is for obvious reasons. Yeah. The IRS doesn't want you to fudge your numbers and buy up a bunch of inventory strategically around tax deadlines so you don't pay any taxes. So the whole idea is to prevent that sort of tax planning strategy. You are technically required to do a cruel basis inventory accounting, even if you're a cash basis taxpayer. I know you're seeing that done the wrong way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, see it, you know, I see it that way pretty frequently. I see yeah. inventory on a cash basis frequently. Well, yeah. don't get me started on uh, how how often I see other accounting firms screw up e-commerce sellers like financial statements because it it is complex. You know, well, this this is a great point, and this is why you know I I recommend our clients to talk with you because you you specialize in e-commerce, right? And there's some nuances to your company is the e-commerce accountant, so there's some nuances to the accounting requirements for companies that are with these business models that that you focus on and can really, I guess, help people protect from audits. I didn't even thought about it that way, but um, that's that's a key piece. Yeah, because when you file your tax return, you file it with a code that says what type of business you have. So the yeah. IRS automatically gets a code that says, oh, I'm an e-com seller. So if they get that code and then they take a look at your tax return and you don't have inventory capitalized on the balance sheet, capitalized meaning not deducted sitting on your balance sheet, you're a target for audit. So it's very, very important to get that right. But to touch on your point, accrual basis accounting for inventory is also extremely important for selling your business. Because if you don't, if you just do cash basis accounting for your inventory, it could be extremely misleading. I'll give you a simple example. Let's say you had $100,000 in sales in January, $100,000 in sales in February, right? If you buy up a bunch of inventory in January, let's say $150,000 worth of inventory on a cash basis, you know, you're deducting all that. You show a loss in January. Then in February, you have zero expense for inventory because you didn't buy up any new inventory. So what winds up happening is it creates like a staggered P&L where it's like you had $200,000 months in terms of sales. They were probably equally as efficient in terms of, in terms of return on your ad spend or whatever efforts you have to generate sales. But the financials are misleading because in January, you spent a ton of money in inventory and February didn't. So it yep. creates like a staggered P&L, which to prospective buyers causes concern because you're like, wait a minute, you get back to back $100,000 months. Why did you lose so much money in January, but you made a ton of money in February? It's just yeah. extremely misleading. It's very confusing, confusing for buyers to see it that way. And it looks and makes the, the margins look like they're all over the place. And the easiest way to turn off a prospective buyer is confuse them and make them, if there's any uncertainty at all, they're going to opt for in a different direction for a company that does have accurate and more reliable and 
financial data that makes sense, yeah. basically. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, the situation that, that we see come up quite a bit is we're working with companies with high growth rates. So through the course of the last 12 months that we're looking at, whatever that period is, they've built up inventory, right? So they're they're trying to build their their inventory to keep up with the demand as it grows. And so they're purchasing more inventory than their than their sales reflect. So if they're expensing all that inventory, it makes their profit look dramatically lower. And so when we, you know, when we work with you to convert to accrual, we kind of unlock this cash flow, which really can improve the value of the business. So um, let's talk about some red flags. You mentioned uh, some audit red flags, but what would be some red flags for a buyer of an e-commerce business when they're when they're looking at financial statements? So the best way I like to describe it is anyone can put numbers on a page and say, see, here's my business. My business generated $10 million in sales and we did 1.5 million in profits, right? Yeah. So in the due diligence process, due diligence is basically a formal way of saying, BS, those numbers are made up. We want to review everything, right? Yeah. So the whole idea is you can have financial data, but the reality is it's a piece of paper. It's only as good as the supporting documentation, right? So in terms of red flags for a buyer, if you're going to present numbers and send them to the prospective buyer, you need to make sure that you have backup to help that buyer understand where those numbers come from. So step one, in my opinion, is you want to have complete and thorough bookkeeping processes reconciled to bank accounts and credit cards. That means all of your bank account and credit card transactions for your business entity should be reconciled in a QuickBooks account, right? So, or whatever accounting software you use. For small businesses, it, we usually see QuickBooks and that's what we use for all of our clients. Yep. So once you get beyond that, you also have some other things you have to do. You have to make sure your inventory accounting is accurate, meaning if you're going to deduct X amount of inventory, how much of it was not yet deductible and sitting on your balance sheet? And where did that number come from? So one of the most complicated parts of e-commerce accounting is accounting for inventory. You know, if you're saying you have $75,000 of inventory that you haven't sold yet, the question is, how did you come up with that number? You paid $150,000, you sold a bunch of units, where'd you get $75,000? You have to have clean and thorough documentation that supports the number that you're presenting to prospective buyer, right? Because that's one of the numbers they're going to look at. It's probably the biggest number on your balance sheet or one of the biggest numbers on your balance sheet, right? So that's another point. Accounting for sales is extremely important. This is a big audit red flag, but also a big prospective buyer red flag because the issue, and this is another complex thing with e-commerce accounting, is revenue recognition is extremely confusing. If you generate, let's say, $10,000 in sales on Shopify, right, you're not going to get $10,000 into your bank account. You're going to get $10,000 minus the merchant fees, minus chargebacks, minus, you know, a refunds, et cetera. Yep. Right. So the whole idea is you have a mismatch. You have $10,000 in sales per Shopify but you have $9,275 that actually hit your bank account. So the question is, what's the difference? So a lot of bookkeepers that aren't experienced with e-commerce, they'll say, you have $9,200 of, of whatever, $9,200 of revenue, when in reality you had $10,000 of revenue. So when that prospective buyer comes in and looks at your Shopify dashboard and says, wait a minute, you have $10,000 in sales here, but when I look at your PL, it's showing 
9,200, what's the difference, right? Those are the kinds of things that would turn off a prospective buyer. So you want to make sure that you're anchored into the right places and things that are bundled together, like merchant fees, refunds, chargebacks, et cetera, that stuff's all broken out. So it's accurate when you, whenever someone's reviewing the financial statements. Yeah, man, it's, it's so important to have clean financial statements that are reconciled. When we, when we get into due diligence, you know, what, what happens is if buyers come up with this big li list of questions and things don't make sense, they'll back out of a deal just because they feel like the owner doesn't really have a handle on the financials or they get, or they get scared. Like, Hey, if this isn't right, what else isn't right? And of course we, we work with, you know, we work with sellers hand in hand to make sure that they don't get into that situation to the begin with, because we want to make sure that when we get to due diligence, that it goes smoothly there's always going to be questions that come up in any due diligence process, but we want to make sure that all these, the things that we know are going to be looked at are going to, are going to reconcile and we're going to have supporting data and documentation for the buyers. And we want to, we want to put that in a shared drive and make it, you know, kind of tee it up and put a bow on it. And because we know everybody pretty much goes through the same process and we want to make it as easy as possible for the buyers, which ultimately gets our sellers the best, the best value for those transactions. Absolutely. So is it worth getting professional help with your financials if you're thinking about getting into a sale process? Absolutely. And I would actually say it's important to get uh, professional help before that process. Um, just because here's the deal. Accounting and taxes is very complex. And, you know, I'm a tax guy. That's my original background. So to me, you know, calculating a tax number is actually quite easy, easier than most people think. If you give me a profit number, I can calculate a tax in probably less than five minutes, right? And get very, very accurate. But the, the issue is having a good profit number, right? right? That takes a lot of work. That's not easy. So I would say about 70% of the people that come in through the funnel and want to work with us say, don't worry about bookkeeping. We got it. I'm like, no, I promise you, you don't, especially <laughs> if you're doing it yourself, yeah. because e-commerce accounting is complex for accounting firms, let alone you as an entrepreneur, you know, maybe you're having mom do your bookkeeping or you're doing bookkeeping or your friend or, you know, it's highly complex. And the thing is with e-commerce is a lot of these businesses can be scaled very easily. Yep. You know, it's so, and we see companies grow very quickly. So having someone in your corner, maybe not from the start, but when you actually start generating serious revenue and the way we define that is $50,000 or more per month in sales right? That's when you absolutely need someone in your corner that has an accounting background and understands e-commerce businesses specifically, mainly because of the inventory accounting, revenue recognition, you know, understanding whether your revenue is correct, et cetera, right? But if you get that process set up in place for taxes, it's really, really easy transition to have all of the financial data ready for when you are ready to sell. Because realistically, what's going to happen is if you decide that, hey, I want to sell my business today, you're not going to have a buyer tomorrow. What's going to happen is people are going to come in, flirt a little bit, see if they like your business, and they may or may not purchase. And that due diligence process can take weeks. It could take days. It could take months. You know, yeah. So it it's not like you can make this decision today and get your numbers set up for a prospective buyer tomorrow. You know, like it, It's highly complex. So my recommendation is always if you're generating significant revenues, again, that's $50,000 or more per month in sales, you should have these processes set up in place, not even for selling your business, but for tax planning purposes, 
from the get-go. Then when it comes time to sell your business, you already have this stuff in place for you to pull the trigger quickly. Yeah. And, and I can tell you from personal experience, buyer or sellers that have clean financial statements and professional preparation get more money for their businesses. I think that that, that service will pay for itself at the time of exit because as you go through that process and you know a new month closes, you've got the financials ready. You've got you've got a balance sheet and a PL that are going to reconcile. You've got, you know, the all the initial high-level questions that a buyer is going to ask in preliminary due diligence are going to be easy to get the answers for. And so it makes a it makes a buyer more confident when they make an offer. And because of that, they they're willing to spend more money because they they know what they're getting. Absolutely. So what are you know, what have you have you seen any 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 situations, you know, not naming any names, of course, but just uh, of of somebody that had, you know, something that was really messed up? You know, what are some horror story examples that you have or examples of, you know, some some financial statements that were really screwed up, you know, that impacted, you know, the position of the business? So one of the biggest things I see and we actually don't take on clients unless they're they have this resolve. But, you know, e-commerce for a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs is a side hustle till it's not. You know, a lot of times people have a day job, they do e-commerce on the side, then before they know it, their side hustle is making more money than their main job. So they For sure. Yeah, we see that ownership yeah. long term. So what happens in the beginning when it's a side hustle is maybe you use that personal bank account, personal credit card and it's commingled with the same account that you're, you know, paying your rent with or going on, you know, Cancun to booze it up with your friends for the weekend, you know? So it's commingled with all your personal stuff. So super, super important, have your business bank account, business credit card separate from your personal bank account, personal credit card. Because again, during due diligence, if someone comes in and looks at your bookkeeping reports and they say, well, wait a minute, like this credit card has all kinds of transactions. How do I know that your profit's not lower? Like, how do I know what transactions you consider business versus personal? So you have to have that clear cut. You need to bifurcate clearly business, you as an entrepreneur and you as an individual. So you need to bifurcate that. So that's very important. And then obviously a back of the envelope profit calculation without support reconciled to bank accounts, credit cards, same exact issue. You know, if someone comes in and wants to do due diligence on numbers that you made up, they're not going to be able to figure out how you calculated those numbers. You know, it takes significant, significant amount of work and ultimately lead them to going in another direction if the transaction value is too high and they perceive right. it as too risky. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, those are those are both great points that um, you know that we we've seen in in practice as well. So, hey, what are what are some resources that you would recommend? You know, books, podcasts, YouTube channels for our listeners to kind of help them get prepped. You know, either to 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 start talking with you or to to get you start the process of getting their financials in order. So basically, you can find us on all social channels. We're on YouTube. Just look up the e-commerce accounts on social media. We have an Instagram account. We have Twitter. We have TikTok. Just find us at Ecom Accountants. Very, very easy to look up. Uh, for some reason, no one goes to the business page. They always go to my personal, which is Ecom Accountant. And I really geek out on posting tax stuff on there all the time. It's my personal account, but people usually follow me there. Um, but the best way to get in touch with us if you're interested in a consultation is visit our website at theecommerceaccountants.com. And uh, there you can find a lot more content and links to our social channels and all kinds of stuff for you to kind of float around in our universe and geek out on accounting and taxes. That was Christian Rivera 
who you can find at the ecommerceaccountants.com or on his YouTube channel. Just search for e-commerce accountants and you'll find him giving more financial advice for your business. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Deal Closers podcast brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com. If you like this show, be sure to rate us, write a review, press the follow button, share it with your network. And of course, if you're looking for help selling your e-commerce business, be sure to visit WebsiteClosers.com. This episode is edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Isaac Porter. Connect with me on LinkedIn and we'll see you next time on the Deal Closers podcast.